So we've seen uh, a recent U.S. veto on a, propa- a proposed U.N. Security Council resolution for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza has sparked discussions about how, you know, it could be possible to, to navigate around such vetoes by permanent members of the Security Council. Um, we are talking this morning to Yasmin Suka, Executive Director of the Foundation for Human Rights in South Africa, about Resolution 377A and whether this can help uh, overcome these kind of vetoes and, and, and uh, you know, secure a ceasefire call, at least, or resolution uh, in Gaza. Uh, in, in Yasmin, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome. Um, good morning to you and all your listeners. And just a correction, I'm a member of the board of the foundation. I've stepped down as executive director. Thanks for that clarification. So UN Resolution 377A, or Uniting for Peace, as it's called, t- tell our listeners in layman's terms what it entails. Well, firstly, it's a resolution in the General Assembly. You know, there's three parties that can pass resolutions. The General Assembly, the Security Council, and the Human Rights Council. But this is, you know, only invoked when um, there's really an emergency situation. And it's usually when the UN has not been able to exercise its primary responsibility for the maintenance of international peace and security. And really, um, you know, this resolution was invoked by Egypt and Mauritania when the resolution on Friday in the Security Council was vetoed by the United States. And in fact, you know, one of the abstentions is the United Kingdom. And so, you know, if any one member of the Permanent Five veto a resolution, then it doesn't go through. And, you know, what prompted this was, of course, the Secretary General, who was very concerned that, um, you know, the resolution on ceasefire didn't go through, and so he initially invoked what is called Article 99 of the UN Charter. And he formally warned the Security Council that Israel's war on Gaza is now a global threat. And so, um, you know, that's what prompted Egypt and uh, Mauritania to actually invoke this resolution. Now, you know, what it allows um, to happen is that the Secretary General can in a 24-hour period, um, set up an emergency session of the General Assembly. And that was, in fact, convened in 24 hours, and it was set for Tuesday. Um, And, of course, a big, you know, it it passed with quite a majority, um, 153 states in favor, 10 against, and, of course, there were 23 abstentions. And, you know, I think it's going to be useful for us today to look at that question of who abstained. Now, um, you know, I think one of the questions is, like, what challenges and opportunities exist in this resolution to bring about collective action? And I think the first thing is that, um, you know, it can set up what we call a UN emergency force. Now, this won't work like a peacekeeping force, but it's what it can do is monitor the situation and neutralize conflict solely through the presence of its forces. But I think the challenge it's going to face is that, remember, General Assembly resolutions are not binding. Um, they have persuasive force. 
And given the high number of states that were in favor of it, it's going to make quite an impact. But, you know, one of the challenges, of course, is that the United States is quite openly opposed to a ceasefire and, in fact, agree with Israel that there won't be any ceasefire until Hamas is destroyed completely. And the reason Israel can act with such impunity and commit the kind of war crimes and crimes against humanity, which many people are calling a genocide, is because it enjoys impunity. And this is because the U.S. gives it weapons and openly supports it. And, of course, what we need to look at is what the underlying, I think, um, reason for continuing this very brutal conflict is because I think at the end of the day, there's a question of ethnic cleansing. You also hear the hate speech by Israeli leadership. And, you know, if they kill more civilians, if they destroy Gaza completely, if they kill and injure more people, they actually don't see that as an issue. And in fact, they would see it as collateral damage, um, you know, as the right to defend themselves. So um, I think that while the resolution in a way presents an opportunity, there are going to be great challenges going forward. But it's also interesting to look at when this resolution was first used. And that was, you know, when North Korea invaded um, South Korea, um, I think it was in 1950, then the resolution was invoked. And what it really, you know, compelled was the possibility of, um, you know, getting North Mm. Korea out of South Korea. And then, of course, in 1960 in the Congo and in India and Pakistan in 1971, and then the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan in 1980. But, you know, we in living in quite a different world. And um, as long as um, at least three members of the, you know, permanent members um, kind of exercise their right to veto or to abstain, then I think we're not going to have anything coming out of the Security Council. And it's really going to, I think in the next few days, you're going to see a huge discussion, um, particularly amongst the states from, um, you know, the Arab states and obviously the Latin Americans and the um, African states to think about how they can interpret this resolution and use it to bring a a ceasefire. Now, Ordinarily, when people hear about these resolutions, you know, they, they, they are somewhat skeptical. Even if a resolution was to pass with, with everyone voting in favor of it, does the UN have the ability to, to, to execute that, to ensure that uh, the resolution is respected? Israel seems to be acting with total impunity. Well, that, that's, you know, like, and, and that's the difference between, I think, a resolution in the General Assembly and a resolution in the Security Council. Mm. Because if you have a resolution in the Security Council, then of course you next move to what is called a peacekeeping force. And that peacekeeping force will be mandated not to um, become involved in the hostilities, but certainly to ensure that the ceasefire is maintained and that the belligerent parties, in a sense, are kept under control, and there are many peacekeeping missions across the world. But, you know, in the case of the General Assembly, it, you know, it's what's called a UN emergency force. 
it doesn't work like a peacekeeping force. But what it can do is um, it can monitor the situation and neutralize the conflict solely through yeah. the presence of its forces. But what would that would mean is firstly that Israel has to agree um, that there's going to be a ceasefire. Secondly, it will mean that Hamas would probably have to you know, release the hostages that they still have. And thirdly, it would mean that Israel would need to release um, or remove all of its forces from Gaza and also from the West Bank, because the West Bank has also been drawn into this conflict. And I think we see a number of people who've been detained. All right. Uh, it's been shukran for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you.